way to another snap election. Can anything save us from this terrifying prospect? Maybe Ruth Davidson. Apparently she's the solution to basically every problem. Also, abortion gives Downing Street another Irish-related headache and the continuing trials of politicians' desperate attempts to get down with the kids. Paul Osborne here. Thank you for downloading the latest podcast. There are some things you never want to hear about, like a tax bill, say, or an unexpected phone call from your doctor. Then there's the threat of another general election. Of course, we've had talk of a snap election. I mean, for God's sake, it's been almost a year since we had one. So why not? People just aren't voting enough these days. That's the problem with modern Britain. Apparently, some MPs left a Brexit briefing with Theresa May convinced that it's only a matter of time before an inevitable vote of confidence that she will not get through. And at that point, unable to find a replacement who appeals to both hardline Brexiteers and committed Remainers, the only solution, apparently, is to have another general election. Because after all, the last one went really well for the Conservatives. Now, look. I enjoy elections. I enjoy elections more than any normal person ought to. But seriously, we're having too many elections. Much like the fabled Brenda from Bristol. I can't stand this. Let's see if Robert Meekin's any more fired up by the prospect. Robert, some Tories are apparently in the process of trying to get themselves pre-approved as candidates for this mythical snap election. Jeremy Corbyn's apparently put Labour on permanent alert for a sudden poll. But at the same time, I can't imagine that even the most suicidal Tory would volunteer for a repeat of what happened to them last June. Uh, The best outcome would probably be a a full-on hung parliament, maybe Labour ahead, maybe it ends with Jeremy Corbyn in Downing Street. So I can't help wondering if this is a particular desperate form of party management. You know, sort of pointing a gun at your own head and threatening to pull the trigger. Get in line or I'll kill the whole government. Yeah, I mean, but times are, without doubt, to put it politely, volatile. And I think it'd be, it'd be foolish to rule out the possibility. Yeah, we just, just look at what's happened over the last couple of years. Theresa May faces all manner of barriers and booby traps over the coming um, weeks and months as Brexit you know, slowly, perilously progresses. So who's not to say that, you know, that, that, that the Commons could scupper her, Parliament could scupper her, that she might be forced into a corner, that her party might just panic and press the eject button? I, I don't think we can rule it out. There's clearly no majority in the Commons for a hard Brexit, but at the same time, the hard Brexiteers are clearly unwilling to accept any kind of compromise. And you suspect that they might actually think that it's better to lose an election than see Brexit be watered down. But I think that's, exa- that's exactly the, the big danger for Theresa May, because we, we always hear this idea of, you know, they won't do this because they'll be too fearful of letting Jeremy Corbyn in. This issue is so, so deep-rooted in the Tory party. It, it, you know, this, this civil war inside the Conservative Party has gone on now for political generations and it's, coming to, it's come to a head. And these people aren't going to let this go. So I, I do think if it really came down to it, whether it be, would it be a question of saving a government or pursuing what they consider to be the honourable, right, pure Brexit, I think that many would want to go for the latter. And they might actually be thinking, well, yes, but we'd have a new leader. We'd have a fresh new face to take on Jeremy Corbyn, though. 
God alone knows who it'll end up being. But they might think that gives them some sound of short-term advantage over Jeremy Corbyn. The voters might also come to the conclusion that a party that can't last 12 months without having to call an election is probably A, not a party that should be running the country, and B, certainly not one that should be negotiating Brexit. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always the temptation that a, a fresh-faced new leader will give you that boost and that, that, that new sense of initiative and fresh purpose. But as you say, I I mean, I I think it's more likely that a lot of voters would think, well, how can we really take the the Conservatives all that seriously presently as a governing party when they clearly can't govern, when they clearly have have to keep on going back to the polls? So I think it would be damaging for them. And the people who keep agitating and saying, well, there's going to have to be an election at the end of this. It's the only way we're going to resolve it. I don't think they've actually thought it through in terms of, okay, let's say you mount some kind of coup against Theresa May. Let's say you've pushed her a no confidence vote and she doesn't survive it. Then what? Who the hell takes over? Who is there lurking in the Conservative Party who is in a position to step in immediately to take over as Prime Minister within days and unite this party? Obvious names are bandied around. I mean, if, if you go to go the old-fashioned route and look at the bookies presently, uh, as uncomfortable as it is for some people, Jacob Rees-Mogg remains the bookies' favourite. I mean, for God's sake, what kind of world do we live in? <laughs> in indeed. And then Boris Johnson, although I know we, we've spoken many times recently and suggested you know, his his popularity has possibly somewhat waned, but he is still considered, you know, someone who is uh, who's lurking there as a possibility. Obviously, a prominent Brexiteer. He's also Foreign Secretary, a very problematic one recently. I imagine he would be considered Michael Gove, another Brexiteer. Well, let's talk about Michael Gove, because one theory that's been floating around the last few days is that Michael Gove would take over as a caretaker Prime Minister to pave the way for Ruth Davidson to take over in 2021. This is this is the dream scenario that Ruth Davidson would swoop in after the next Scottish parliamentary election and save the Conservatives. As you say, she has committed to fighting the 2021 Holyrood election. She's also pregnant. Now, look, that's no barrier to continuing in high office. But you suspect that perhaps saving the Parliamentary Conservative Party might not be at the top of her list of objectives right now. And at the moment, she's given absolutely no indication that she is going to be parachuted into a parliamentary seat in time for the general election. And yet there are a lot of Tories who've got their heads around the idea that Michael Gove can step in for a while. Maybe we should start calling him the caretaker now. He can step in for a bit. And then Ruth Davidson comes in on a white horse, saving the Tories from whatever ridiculous oblivion a brief Michael Gove premiership might lead them to. Yeah, I mean, it's good old fashioned um, fantasy football politics this really and for a start I don't believe that Michael Gove would ever see himself as caretaker leader material he's either leader or he isn't while Ruth Davidson is an attractive proposition to many in the Tory party inevitably right now she's a very different sort of Tory politician she's considered someone who could reach out to all manner of areas that Theresa May can't I just don't think the timing works right now she's only turns 40 I believe in the autumn I don't think she's any on in any real hurry uh, I do think she'll end up coming south at some 
point as a politician, but as a Westminster politician. But I don't think that's going to be until arguably the early 2020s. I don't think she's going to be that immediate solution to the, the Tory party's troubles. If you're Ruth Davidson, why would you do it now? Why would you possibly throw yourself into this disaster? You'd wait and you'd wait until the wreckage had settled after the inevitable implosion and come in and pick up the pieces. Indeed. They say she's got she's got plenty of time. This would be this would be an awful period in political history to become you know the, the Conservative Party leader, as Theresa May well knows. I think you know that there's every chance she she will certainly be a front runner for Tory leadership in the future. I just don't think that's going to be anytime soon. Now, interestingly, Ruth Davidson did outscore all the other Tories in a poll a couple of months ago that asked which politicians people thought had what it took to be a good prime minister. She got 30%. 30% of people thought Ruth Davidson was, was up to the job. Now, that compares to 17% for Boris Johnson, 11% for Michael Gove, sorry, for the caretaker, and 6% for Gavin Williamson. Gavin Williamson, a man who this week lost an argument with Richard Maidley. A particularly Alan Partridge moment. All British listeners will certainly get that reference. Maidley did what many interviewers fantasise about doing. Gavin Williamson, in his normal, rather robotic way, wouldn't answer a question about uh, the way he handled the recent uh, Russia crisis. And Richard Maidley said, all right, well, I'm terminating the interview. I'm sick of hearing these rather shallow, hollow sound bites. It was was very entertaining stuff. Very Alan Partridge, as you say, and very much, I think, Maidley wants... Probably Maidley's trying to out-Morgan Piers Morgan. For those people who aren't in the UK. Uh, he is standing in for, for Piers Morgan, uh, one of the proudest exports Britain's ever produced, uh, who presents the breakfast show on ITV. Good morning, Britain. Richard Maley standing in for him. As you say, he sort of rather petulantly shouted at Gavin Williamson. He had a point, though, which is that politicians are bloody awful at answering questions. And Gavin Williamson in particular is especially bad at not answering them because he couldn't be any more obvious if he had a giant neon sign with evasion written on it flashing over his head. Gavin Williamson, of course, again, many, many consider him made for great things. We're talking about Tory leadership uh, contests. I'm sure Gavin Williamson thinks further down the line he could be uh, in the running. Well, you've said before that there's hardly a single MP at Westminster who doesn't, in the back of their head, think that they're prime ministerial material. Gavin Williamson and seems to me to be the absolute example that, you know, no matter how much or how little talent, they all seem to think they're up to it. I don't doubt for a second that Gavin Gavin Williamson fantasises about going through number 10. Now, if Brexit doesn't finish off Theresa May, maybe abortion will, because last week's vote to legalise abortion in the Irish Republic created an immediate political headache for the Prime Minister. Northern Ireland will soon have far more restrictive laws on abortion than the Republic, as well as being entirely at odds with the rest of the UK. But... Theresa May's great mates in the Democratic Unionist Party insist the referendum will make no difference to their opposition to abortion and nothing will change in Northern Ireland as a result. Now, Robert, this is something that MPs across the parties are agitating on. Let's start with the Tories, where the Women and Equalities Minister, Penny Morden, wants a free vote in Parliament to reform the abortion laws in Northern Ireland and apparently has not only the overt backing of her four immediate predecessors, who include Amber Rudd and Justine Greening, but also the tacit support of the current Northern Ireland Secretary, Karen Bradley, who insists in public this is a devolved matter, so there's nothing to do with Westminster, but in private thinks something has to happen. And again, it just shows the fragility of this of this current government that it's being propped up by the DUP. 
we get something like this and you really see the politi politics of it potentially come to a head because you've got a situation that is utterly unacceptable to so many of Theresa May's own Conservative MPs. Uh, yeah, while the DUP certainly aren't going to budge on the, on the abortion issue at the same time. So I really do think this could become another explosive uh, problem for Theresa May as these, as these weeks uh, unfold. And then meanwhile, there's a Labour MP, Stella Creasy, who wants to amend a domestic violence bill that's going through Parliament and insert a clause that would allow abortions in Northern Ireland. Now, look, the DUP have said they won't wear it. As you say, their 10 MPs are propping up the government. There has been speculation this week that they're not going to bring down the government over the issue of abortion, but they've been pretty strident about it the last week or so since the referendum in the Irish Republic. Abortion is a devolved matter. The Northern Ireland Assembly hasn't sat now for about a year and a half. So it's very hard to see how this gets resolved. And it's very hard to see how Theresa May escapes this charge of hypocrisy. You know, you say you're a feminist. You've accepted that women travelling from Northern Ireland for abortions, that those abortions should be paid for on the NHS. But when push comes to shove, you're not actually willing to take on these 10 guys who are holding you hostage. I just don't think Theresa May is in any sort of position to start force, forcing uh, her hand too much. And the DUP know that. Now, let's briefly say goodbye to Ken Livingston, former mayor of London, scourge of Margaret Thatcher and Tony Blair, and a man who has never seen an argument that he can't successfully link back to Adolf Hitler within 30 seconds. He has finally quit the Labour Party while insisting he's done absolutely nothing wrong and is definitely not anti-Semitic. Uh, Robert, apparently these allegations had become a distraction, so he left to spare Jeremy Corbyn any further embarrassment. To be honest, he wanted to spare embarrassment. Could have gone a couple of years ago, couldn't he, really? Um, he's also talked about how he might apply to rejoin Labour in a couple of years' time. And, of course, by resigning, avoids being disciplined or being expelled, which I think quite a lot of people inside the Labour Party would rather have thought should have happened. Like lots of prize fighters, I don't think he, he, they never know quite when to leave the ring. And Ken has clung on and on and on through various indignities with people who often be, have long been close allies of his calling for him to go. And belatedly, yes, finally, he said, I will go. But then, of course, Ken being Ken says, but I still might be back. And in the manner of his going, he again, he says he hasn't done anything wrong. He's only going because it's harming Jeremy Corbyn. He doesn't think that he, any of the things he ever said about Hitler being a Zionist and all this nonsense. He doesn't think any of that that was anything wrong with at all there's no reason why he should be he's only going to help out his good mate jezza who with a nod and a wink kind of agrees with me that's always been the way he's been you know he's, he's always gone against the grain and of course has often come out on top in the past politically so he's certainly not going to change his spots now in terms of the whole hitler and zionism issue i mean ken really just re resembled some old-fashioned pub bore you hear these people you know prattling on in, in a bar sometimes with their sort of amateur conspiracy theories about various things and when it came to when it came to this that's that was ken's level but of course ken being ken he just wouldn't let it go he just wouldn't back off and, and still to this day if you get him on the airwaves he'll still start prattling on about the issue over and over again it, it was it's been a, a rather bizarre and messy chapter in the latter part of ken's career Can you name a Green Party politician? Congratulations, that's right, Caroline Lucas, obviously. That's not surprising. She's the party's only MP and she is the leader of the Green Party. Well, actually, she is the co-leader alongside... Um 
somebody else. Anyway, not for much longer. Caroline Lucas has announced this week that she's going to stand down as Green Party leader in the autumn. It's the second time she's done it. She says it's time for other people to step forward. The only problem with this, Robert, being that I imagine you can't either, but I certainly can't name three or four obvious candidates to replace her. No, I, I would struggle. I mean, I... I I sort of faintly know of that there's a London Assembly member, the Sean Sean Berry, and the co-leader Jonathan Bartley. Oh, well done! Took me a bit of effort to remember his name. And of course, I remember Natalie Bennett, who had a less than successful reign as Green Party leader during the 2015 election. That's about it. Um, but to be, to be fair to the Greens, yeah, Caroline Lucas obviously is the is the dominant figure. She's the only elected member of of Parliament. And they had a they're perfectly respectable local election recently. There was a steady rise again in councillor numbers. If you compare that, say, to UKIP, obviously completely collapsing. The Greens certainly aren't collapsing. So they are a, a steady and you know, ongoing presence on the British political landscape. Not a huge one, admittedly. But I, I don't see them, you know, falling away, certainly not collapsing anytime soon. You mentioned Natalie Bennett. And in, in the 2015 election that, that she was leader for, the Greens increased their share of the vote from 1% to just under 4%. And then in the 2017 election, it fell to 1.6%. Now, I assume that's because there were a lot of people who were voting Green who normally would have used the Lib Dems for a protest vote and couldn't because the Lib Dems have been in coalition for the last five years. But there is just that sense that, yes, they've got one MP and they've achieved a little bit more in terms of getting people elected to councils. And we saw that in the local council elections at the start of May. But the momentum's just kind of fizzled out, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, say it's 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 it, it's nothing uh, remarkable in terms of the Green Party performance. They just they're just hovering around and they're still there. The Green Party can at least honestly say, right, we, we may have been squeezed to you know to a certain extent, but they at least their their heads are still above water. Put it that way. Now, last time we talked about conservatives on Instagram, specifically Tories using Instagram to try to persuade voters that they were normal people. But this was, it turns out, just part of a wider policy of trying to appeal to younger voters or de ute as I believe they're known. By all accounts, there has been an explosion of right-wing think tanks and initiatives, all trying to find ways to win those pesky young folk to the Conservative cause. Uh, Last time, Robert, I praised Liz Truss for managing to look on Instagram like a sort of normal person. But apparently she's also talked up the search for what she called Tories with attitude. These are young people who are secretly conservative, so secretly they don't know it yet. You can spot them because they take holidays in Airbnb apartments, they travel everywhere by Uber, and they eat only food that's arrived courtesy of Deliveroo. They are the warriors of the gig economy. The problem with this being that when you think of the Conservative Party, you think about Boris Johnson, Theresa May, Michael the Caretaker Gove, even Jacob Rees-Mogg. And while I know Jacob Rees-Mogg has his own rather devoted youthful fans... You know, they're not normal. No, there's no denying that the, the, the Tories are well aware they've got a big youth uh, problem presently. Interestingly, of course, we've, we've spoken about Ruth Davidson earlier. That's why, again, why she appeals to many Tories, because they think you know, she, she could be someone who could break down some of those barriers. But overall, a big problem for the Tories. People now, you know, under, under 40 are vowing never, ever to vote Conservative. I have to say, yeah, it is laughable, their attempts to sort of engage people on Instagram. You know, 
as time goes on, we, we at the same time should not underestimate this party's ability to rebrand, remould itself. Right now, it does seem a little ludicrous, but who's to say in 10, 15 years, it won't be a very different, uh, different scenario. Right now, you speak to most 35-year-olds and they'll say over my dead body, will I ever be voting Conservative? I wonder by the time if, when they hit 50, that'll really still be the case. It's being floated that if you join the Conservative Party in future, you might get a Nando's discount card. I mean, now, come on. Young people love seasoned chicken. So it's not that much of a leap. They love seasoned chicken. Maybe they'd love free market economics. Yeah. Again, I I get the feeling that was uh, an idea at Tory HQ, possibly among some sort of Tory aides of a certain age, having probably drunk too much coffee, who then then sent it as an email and it's got green lit. And it, of course, actually is ended in embarrassment because I think Nando's have said quite understandably, but they don't really want to be, uh, have a a party political affiliation that's done entirely helpful for business. Well, let's finally get an update on Labour Live, the North London Open Air Festival of Politics and Pop dubbed Jezfest by the tiny number of people who are actually going. Um, Now, we've talked about this before. Still, only a very small proportion of the 15,000 tickets have been sold. They asked Labour MPs to talk it up. Only a handful of them bothered to mention it on Twitter. One report this week suggesting they might lose more than a million pounds staging this ludicrous party. Um, I can think of a couple of thousand things that are probably more entertaining than a day-long festival of singers and left-wing oratory, like hanging around in Nando's with some Tories. <laughs> I mean, you can see why they've got a little carried away. If you look at the scenes from Glastonbury last year when everyone's singing, oh, Jeremy Corbyn. You know, they, they probably thought, well, we've caught the wave here. Let's, you know, let, let, let's sort of manipulate this as, as hard as we can. But no, this hasn't caught at all, has it really? And uh, it, it, it's been an embarrassing one for the Labour Party. I think what it comes down to is, yes, Jeremy Corbyn has a huge young fan base. And of course, a lot of young people, what do they like doing? They like going to music festivals and they're into the latest bands, inevitably. But I think when you start trying to force it down people's throats and say, hey, we can take ownership of this. We're the Labour Party and you can like us and you, we, we, we can just hang out with you at all these events. I, then I think you're stretching things. Then I think you're pushing things too far as the take up for this said event possibly proves. Equally, why don't we stage our own festival? I've been thinking about this. Look, if the Labour Party can sell three or four thousand tickets to this fiasco, why don't we do this? Well, let's have our own festival. We could just stand on the stage and shout at the audience for a bit. I've got some Mantovani records. I could play them. I, I don't suggest what I would. I could. I could dust down and play. Well, I once saw you do a karaoke Rod Stewart. Ah, you bring that up on on the podcast. You bring that up now. I may have been known to do Rod Stewart, and yeah, if 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 events force it, I may have to do him again. Music and politics. I mean, I I, I just think we. If we could get a Nando's concession as well, we'd be laughing. I can sense the excitement as we talk about this, the idea of us uh, hosting a festival. I wonder where we'd host it. I wonder where we could, we could go location-wise. I'm I'm, suggest- I'm imagining a very small tent. A, a medium-sized tent. For two. For two. Well, well maybe five. Maybe five or six people. Get in touch if you'd like to come to our festival. You know, and who knows? We could make this dream a reality. We're not going to do it. I'm, sensor- I'm seeing you on keyboards already, a la Pet Shop Boys. 
That's exactly it. The grumpy bloke at the back with the sunglasses on. I know that's your fantasy, is. That's your fantasy. That's what this is about. That's always <laughs> been my fantasy. I'm only doing this because I'm not the third Pet Shop Boy. We'd be reduced then for me doing a dodgy Rod Stewart impression while you play keyboards behind. That's a, that's a combo I, I think Britain can probably be spared. Well, as I say, you know, if there's overwhelming public demand, there's nothing we can do about it. So, so get in touch on Twitter at Party Games Pod to demand this festival that the public want to see. They want to see me play the keyboard. They want to hear you sing Rod Stewart songs. Let's make this dream happen. But we'll wrap it up there for now. So uh, thank you to Robert. Uh, Thanks to you for listening as well. And until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.